Well, friends, let us turn in the Word of God to Second Timothy chapter 2. Paul's second letter to Timothy. Chapter 2, we'll read from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition of God, perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Amen. Friends, let's pray. Our Lord and our God, if we are... If you are to be both hearers and doers of this truth, we need, as we acknowledge this morning, we need the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, it's one thing to hear the word read, proclaimed. It's another thing to embrace it. Embrace it by faith and then by your Spirit through the pursuit of righteousness to see that truth worked out in our own lives. Lord, we would, Lord, we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but doers. We'd, we would not be sermon tasters, deliver us from that. But we would be those who are looking to see your truth worked out in our lives. To that end, we ask for your, for your blessed help. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes that we may behold Wonderful things from your word as we've just been singing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My friends, we continue to look at Second Timothy. And in these opening two chapters, we have seen Paul over and over give a glorious direction, um, imperatives to this young pastor that he's writing to from a Roman prison. Now, it's important to remember that these directions are relevant to any age, any era of uh, ministry. And so these instructions for Timothy are not just for Timothy. They're not just for preachers. They're not just for elders. They're, they're for the whole church. This is an epistle for the household of faith, all the people of God. Now, in the passage that we come to this evening, verses 22 through 26... We're going to see eight imperatives that God gives to Timothy. And keep in mind, as we go through this, Paul's message to Timothy, God's message to you and me, is that Timothy's teaching in the church is to have as its focus, uh, to have as as its aim, uh, as its design, the promotion of godliness, It's promoting edification and unity within the local congregation and urging the people to holiness of life. So Paul is not just giving eight principles 
for this or several steps for that or five clues to this. Uh, but he, he wants to cultivate within the household of faith an appetite and he wants to cultivate within ourselves uh, an appetite in which we desire more than anything else in the whole world to have communion with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. More than anything else in the world, we want to be longing to know God savingly and to live with him, uh, loving him, loving his, his children, loving our neighbours as ourselves, etc. And so it's an edification which is focused on glorifying and enjoying God. And everything else will fall into place, you know, when that teaching focus is remembered and understood. Now, Paul wants uh, Timothy to pursue righteousness, as we've just been reading. He wants Timothy to avoid false teachers, as we've been seeing in chapter 1 and 2. And since Paul is concerned for a, a teaching ministry that leads to godliness of life and godliness of life manifested in God's people. He knows, um, well Paul knows, Timothy knows also that you can't promote godliness through error. You can't promote it through false teaching. And so as he has exhorted in the uh, previous verses, false teaching has to be avoided. And uh, he said that in measure and in repetition in, these, uh, in this second chapter in particular. Uh, but let's just jump right in to these uh, eight imperatives, these eight directives. Uh, the true minister, or because it applies to everyone, the growing disciple, the growing Christian, flees from youthful lusts. So Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, as you deal with people that are opposing the truth, as you deal with people that are teaching false doctrine within the household of faith, as you attempt to preach truth that leads to, you know, godliness, while you're doing that, you must avoid those youthful impulses and lusts that will leave you vulnerable to headstrong behavior to intolerance, to quick-temperedness, to self-assertion. And so the youthful lusts which uh, Paul is speaking about here are not simply the kind of lusts which we immediately think of in our minds, namely, you know, sexual lusts. Not at all. Uh, Paul is being more broad here. Hence, in some translations, it will be flee youthful Passions, which is probably a better translation. And so Paul is thinking about uh, anger. Very often a, a young person hasn't learned how to manage or check his or her anger. He's thinking of uh, impatience or impetuousness, of the tendency to rebellion or aggression, self-centeredness, self-will, obstinacy. Uh, these passions are very strong in, in youth, obviously for a variety of reasons. Uh, young people are not yet experienced self-managers. You know, sometimes they don't know themselves well enough to know, got to steer clear of that. Or uh, got to watch out for that area uh, of influence in my life uh, because it won't be good. 
Um, and also young people haven't been burned by their own mistakes as much as older folks have. You know, uh, those of us who are older, and you can chat to us after the service or whenever, over cups of tea or whatever, we have been burned many, many times. And we know there are certain things that we need to avoid. And as you get older, uh, you, you tend to learn these things. And you learn them sometimes in the school of hard knocks. But a youth is vulnerable to all kinds of mistakes. And so Paul says, Timothy, you need to flee from those uh, impulses and passions of youth. Now, obviously, you know, the, the sexual side isn't ignored there, obviously. You know, you need uh, to be aware of and flee from, the, from those also. Um, but with Timothy, as we know, he was a timid sort of character. And so you can imagine in another context, another young minister, another young pastor, uh, reading these things for the instruction from the word of God. And they're being opposed, they're being opposed in, their, uh, their minister, in their ministry. And, uh, you know, they could just very easily, you know, fly off the handle uh, and get angry and berate the congregation, hammer them, you know, for not listening, um, being patient and tolerant. With people struggling with things, not not just you know uh, doctrinal or heresy. You know, people sometimes are as they grow in grace and in the knowledge of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, wrestle with things. You know, they're not all you know there yet, and you know sometimes Paul is saying, "Look, don't be impetuous with people." Uh, whatever you do, he's saying, uh, you know, engage people. When you engage them, I want you to engage them in such a way that it will be calm, gentle, kind. Yes, of course, I want you to be as solid as a rock. I want you to be faithful as the day is long. But I want you to be gentle in the way that you go about things. I want you to be kind in the way that you do it. Don't let your youthful passions carry you away. Now, beloved, if Timothy, a godly young man and a godly consecrated minister of the word, needed to be reminded not to let his youthful impulses and youthful passions carry him away, then how much more do we need to be reminded of that? You know, some of us are older. And yet, as we, as I said, on Wednesday night, sometimes our youthful passions uh, get the better of us. And some who are younger need this direction. Don't let your youthful passions carry you away. Those impulses, those passions can hit you from many different angles. You know, the academic year starts up again uh, tomorrow for some of you. Back to uni, college, off to school, into work or wherever. And before you know it, you're facing some things that can leave you feeling very, very frustrated are you angry, maybe? And you're in a vulnerable situation for those useful, youthful passions to carry you in a, in a direction and into a place that you don't necessarily want to be carried. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, flee. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, Timothy, you know, stop and analyze and reflect and work on managing this. No, he says, flee. Run from it. 
get as far away from it as you can. Don't let any kind of influence, uh, you know, from a negative direction influence your behavior. So there's the first word. Avoid, you know, falling prey to youthful passions. Secondly, the true minister, obviously the true growing Christian, maturing Christian, pursues righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now notice, as I say, Paul doesn't say, you know, stop these things. He doesn't simply say, don't do it. He doesn't just say, uh, just say no and get on with it. He says in addition, while you flee, pursue. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, rather than being carried away by an impulsive passion, To do something that's wrong, instead fix your eyes on pursuing righteousness. When he says fix your, uh, when he says pursue, he means make an all out effort to reach that goal. Turn that excessive tendency of your own, maybe impetuousness or the impulses that are negative. Turn all of that energy into wholly focusing on growth and holiness. A godliness of life. Pursue holiness. Pursue God in the company of the saints. Pursue those virtues of righteousness, love, faith and peace. These things need to be cultivated. And you notice how they are to be cultivated? Look at the language there that that he uses in 2 Timothy, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Now, do you see what he's saying? And we touched on this on Wednesday evening. He's saying you can't do this alone. You do need God's people. You do need God's people coming alongside you uh, if you're going to pursue single-mindedly love and faith and peace and righteousness. Uh, You need the help. You need the encouragement. You need the example of the the people of God. You know, so he's he's not creating, what they were saying Wednesday evening, uh, solo flyers here. He's not encouraging lone rangers. We need one another. We need the household of faith. Uh, And you see, this matter of personal holiness and purity, it's not a sideline in the lives of the people of God. Paul's concern is for a commitment to a life of practical godliness. The key to your usefulness is in what you are running from. What you are running to and who you are running with. So run from sin and run towards this lovely quartet, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then thirdly, Paul goes on, if you look at it in verse 23, he tells Timothy, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Now, we did touch on this last week, so I won't repeat what was said then. Just reiterate, you know, Paul, what Paul is saying to Timothy. 
He's reminding them, don't get caught up in uninstructive wranglings about false speculations. And there are two reasons why. Two obvious reasons why. One, because they're false. And two, because they're unproductive. They will not do you any good. Truth preached, truth proclaimed, is unto godliness. It's to lead to holiness. Now, untruth does not produce godliness. And what does Paul want Timothy's preaching to produce? He wants Timothy's preaching to produce godliness. He wants to see people obviously mature in their Christian faith, to grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to see the household of faith edified. He wants to see people loving God more, understanding uh, the gospel more, sharing their faith more, living the Christian life more. He wants to see them built up. And therefore, he says, avoid anything at all that will sidetrack you from that goal. Avoid anything that will sidetrack you from faithful teaching. So when you're under, you know, the teaching of the word of God and that um, teaching seeks to be faithful before God... Uh, certainly, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to be asking yourself, Lord, what do, you, what do you intend this truth to do to me? You know, the Lord's purpose, the Lord's purpose is for that truth to shape your life. And so you're saying, Lord, what, what does this truth do to me? It's to shape my life. It's to change me. It's to grow me up. It's to make me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, friends, when you're sitting under the ministry of the word of God, you need to be saying, Lord, what does this truth mean to me? What do you intend for that truth to produce in me? And to glorify you more. That's what, you know, I should be doing. I'm to think of your sovereignty more. I'm to uh, be more assured of the forgiveness of my sins and to be uh, more loving to my brothers and sisters in Christ, um, and to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ more, and to be asking God, you know, what do, what do you intend for this truth to produce in me, Lord? And those are things that you go away, you take with you, and you pray through in your own devotional times. And before you go uh, to sleep at night, going over these things in your mind, saying, Lord, you know, work these things out in my life. Then fourthly, he says that the true minister, the growing, maturing Christian, must not obviously quarrel following on from that. And if that's true of the, uh, the minister here that he's writing to, it's also true of the growing disciple. He's saying that true servants of the Lord love edification, not fights. You know, the true minister of the gospel is not chomping at the bit to get into a theological fight with uh, somebody. No, uh, we love edification. And certainly we have to deal with disagreements, not because we love disagreements, but because we love edification. Because we want to see people built up in their faith. And the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy 
that when you correct a brother who is misunderstanding something about the truth, you're doing that not so that you can, you know, put him in his place, make him feel small, and send him off into the corner. You're not doing it because you want to ram something down, you know, the person's throat, or uh, so that you can get him thinking straight, so that he can go over, he can go over and sit in that corner and quietly just sit there, having been uh, put in his place. No, that's that's not the way to edify a brother or sister in Christ. You, you, if somebody's in error, you want to correct them to edify them so that they can be, you know, obviously part of the household of faith and be part of the edification of other brothers and sisters in Christ within the church. And this reminds us too, doesn't it, that it, this unity doesn't just uh, happen, you know, within the, within the church. If we're not uh, working it out, if we're not applying it, you know, if we're not preaching and teaching the edification and unity of the church, it won't happen. Unless we long for it, pray for it, aim for it, and work it out in our teaching, unity and edification just won't happen. It's not an accident. Beloved, it's the consequence of deliberate effort on the part of the ministry of the word that's worked out in the life of the household of faith. And we need to remember that as well. We, we deal with one another in theological disagreements with the end in view that we want to edify and build up and exhort. And then fifthly, you know, the growing disciple, we're told is gentle and kind. Look at it there in verse 24. A servant of the Lord must be gentle to all. You know, the true Christian, the growing Christian, the growing disciple is going to have a demeanor that promotes uh, edification and unity, as I've been emphasizing through the sermon. Now, in the course of my life, and I'm sure you will be able to identify with this. But certainly in the course of my Christian life, over the past 40-odd years, uh, I've come across people who reject certain biblical teachings. Not so much because those teachings are in and of themselves uh, repulsive to them, or implausible to them. But because somebody had attempted to ram those teachings down their throat in a way that was offensive to them. And because they were having it rammed down their throat in a way that was offensive to them, they've just backed off altogether. And when you raise it with them, you know, they run a mile. Maybe they've heard somebody teach things for whom, you know, they didn't have respect. You know, that guy's up there preaching this. But when I see him out in the street, he's doing the exact opposite. And I just turned them off. A lot of people turned off Christianity for the same reason. They see uh, people claiming to be Christian. And yet they look at their behavior. And they say, well, if that's Christianity, forget it. And isn't it interesting that Paul says, look, Timothy. Your character... Your demeanor 
is to be a demeanor of gentleness and love. Isn't that how Jesus is presented to us in the Gospels? Yes, he confronted error. He confronted the Pharisees and he, woe to you Pharisees. You know, he didn't hold back. Turned the tables over in the temple. But he was still gentle Jesus, meek and mild. In the context in which, you know, we'll ever promote godliness has to be a context of gentleness. And so the means by which quarrels can be avoided and the unity and edification promoted within the household of faith is to be Christians whose character and demeanor reflect the master that we follow. But Paul continues in verse 24. And he says, Sixthly, the true minister is able to teach. And so... If the true minister is able to teach, then the growing disciple is teachable and loves to be taught. Uh, The growing disciple wants to sit under the ministry of the word of God, wants to soak it in like a sponge and ask God, as I say, to, to help us apply this in our lives. And when Paul says to Timothy that he must be able to teach, he's not just saying to Timothy, you know, you have to know stuff, Timothy. Now, what he's saying to him is, if you're able to teach, Timothy, then your, your people will show that teaching in their lives. It will be reflected in their lives. You know, the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about. The effect of fruitful ministry used by the Holy Spirit as he works grace in the hearts of the hearers, will be godly living. That's why we're saying, we were reading this morning in the psalm about God testing us, examining us, examining us, why we need to test and examine ourselves. Are these things manifested in our lives? Are these things seen in our lives? Am I living godly? You know, is holiness... You know, my my aim and my desire. Uh, You know, you won't just... It's not just a matter of going away knowing seven things that you didn't know before. It's not just a matter of uh, going away and saying, well, I'll try and turn over a new leaf and believe things differently and think things differently. You want to go away and have a bigger view of God You want to have a bigger view of grace, a bigger view of Christ, a bigger view of God's plan. And when that is not communicated to yourselves, you know, that's my fault. And pray, pray that God, even in these last several months, would use me more in seven months or three months than he ever did. And, you know, as I say, 30 odd years or whatever. We want to be changed. We want to be shining as lights amidst the darkness, as Paul says to the Philippians. We want to be changed in the way we think, the way we believe, the way we live, the way we respond to the truth of God by faithful teaching. Being up to teach on the teacher's capacity, falls in the teacher's capacity, doesn't it, to promote godliness. It's not just wanting people to know stuff. Not just wanting people to know more stuff. It's not just wanting people to more to know more stuff than other Christians know. 
I want to see lives transformed. Now, if that's the aim of the minister of God's word, then the growing Christian, the growing disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he or she comes to sit under the teaching of the word, they must come with a teachable spirit. The growing Christian comes saying, Lord, teach me from your word. You know, even if it's, you know, uh, the preacher is having a, an off day and he's stammering and stuttering, Lord, still teach me. You, you, may your spirit still minister to me. You have appointed your word to search me out, grow me up, accomplish that. So teaching isn't something boring and irrelevant to life. certainly shouldn't be that. And so the true Christian loves biblical teaching. And I say, well, you want to be like a sponge and just soak it up. And you want to see a life changed. Then seventhly, seventhly, the true minister, or the growing Christian, we're told is patient. You see it there at the end of verse 24. Now the ESV adds patiently enduring evil. The NASB um, translates it patient when wronged. Okay. So we're not to get sidetracked when we're attacked for you know, standing for the truth. We're to patiently endure. Patiently enduring evil is not easy. Not right. And the only reason that I can think of for patiently enduring evil is summed up in the prayer of Habakkuk. Lord, how long? Here I am and I'm looking at this. Place is a mess. It's upside down. How long? And God is saying, well, you know, I am doing something. It's going to surprise you. It did. Um, Blew the socks off, Habakkuk. Uh, But God is saying, look, I'm in control of this. You patiently endure because my judgment is coming. And that is one of the reasons, I guess, that we should patiently endure. Now, the NASB, as I say, says, patient when wronged. Why? Because Proverbs tells us, Proverbs reminds us that a lying tongue is but for a moment, the lip of truth will be established forever. Now, if the exhortation here is just as we read it in the, uh, the New King James, and uh, it's just, you know, be patient, uh, isn't that needed also? Don't we need to be patient? We're not robots. You know, everybody isn't going to agree. You know, sometimes we can get upset or angry, and there's kickback at something that we don't like, and isn't patient needed? You know, things need to be worked through. And at the end of the day, you know, the goal is always edification. The goal is not to silence all objections. The goal is not to, uh, you know, save face. Uh, the goal isn't just to build up a reputation so everybody else, you know, fall into line. No, the goal is edification. And if a bumpy ride is what it takes to get there, then we have to be patient. We have to be patient with one another, and we have to be patient as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the last thing we see 
here in verse 25 before we meet around the table is simply this. He's also going to be gentle in correcting those who are misguided or an error or heretical. Okay, look at the language. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. You know, beloved, when you receive the word, well, all true Christian teaching will require some repentance on our part. Why? Because we're not perfect. You know, as the word of God is preached week by week and Wednesday nights, as you're reading it yourselves in your own devotions, things will be flagged up by the Holy Spirit that uh, will highlight that this needs to be corrected in your life. Or uh, you need to be reproved over this. And, uh, well, you repent of it, isn't that right? It's an ongoing process. For example, when we learn how great God is, when we learn that God is far greater than we ever, ever realized or imagined him to be, does not call for repentance. You say, why? Well, because we thought that God was smaller than he actually is. When we have thought that our behavior squared with the demands of God's law, and then through the faithful teaching of God's word, we find that actually it didn't square, well, well, we have to repent. It's not right. And so teaching always aims at engaging someone in order that they might be able, uh, that, that they might be led to uh, repentance and faith. All growth in Christian knowledge entails repentance to some degree. The word metanoia, which is translated repentance here, emphasizes a change of mind and a change of attitude that results in a change of direction. And you see, Paul says, I want to correct those who are in opposition so that they will turn round and go the right way and come to a knowledge of the truth. Specifically, who are they? In verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape. Who are they? Well, can I suggest that maybe verse 17, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who are they? Could I suggest maybe chapter 1, verse 15, Phygelius and Hermogenes? Paul wants them to come to their senses so that they know the truth. Knowledge is epigenosis, it's a compound word. The full knowledge the deep knowledge, I want them to come to that full knowledge. You see, beloved, there is no vengeance here on the part of the Apostle Paul. There's no bitterness here. There's no spirit of retaliation here. There's only compassion. The compassionate heart wants to teach skillfully and bring people to repentance so that they can come to the knowledge of the truth and be delivered. Verse 26. From the devil. And you say, is it possible, Billy, that even a Christian could be caught in the snare of the devil? Yes, 
even an elder, an overseer. As Paul wrote his first epistle to Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 7, he says, Elders can fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. He says, you know, when you're choosing men to be pastors and overseers, you make sure that they have a good reputation with those outside the church so that they don't fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Yes, beloved, the warning there is that even an elder could fall into the snare of the devil. So yes, believers can listen to feign speculations and get involved in useless words and arguments and debates and buy into the lies of Satan and fall into his trap. You know, the whole green movement and uh, climate change. It's a lie of the devil. Uh, How do you know? Well, because God says that he looks after this world. He provides for it. God says that seed time and harvest, etc., etc., will continue until Christ comes. The the planet's not in meltdown because God is sovereign. He's in control. And if as a believer you buy into the whole green thing and say, oh, we all got to go, you know, down the electric car route or whatever. Don't be buying into the lies that are peddled by, you know, Satan who hates this world and the God of this world. You know, Satan will try anything to destroy the church, to destroy the household of faith, peddle any lies. He will peddle any lies to destroy life because Satan comes to take life, destroy it. It's so easy to fall into his trap and think that you know, the, the world sets the agenda. It's Christ sets the agenda. Pray that the people of God, pray for that ourselves, will never, ever be captive to Satan. You know, if, if the world says one thing, then the Bible says the other. Ignore what the world says and listen to what the Bible says. Because this word is truth. So Paul wants to prepare Timothy for all that he'll face in a troubled world. He wants to prepare us for that too. Because growing in the knowledge of the Lord can be painful sometimes. We know that. We find things out about ourselves that are disturbing. Things that the X-ray of God's word shining upon our, our lives confronts us with and we're ashamed of, disturb us. But the way we grow is to embrace the truth of God's word and just to repent of sin when it's highlighted, to always go back to the Savior and to long for that fellowship with him and to cultivate fellowship within the household of faith and with God's people. We want to know Christ more, beloved, isn't that right? We want to know him 
to whom to know is life eternal. And we want that eternal life. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, your, your word is truth. We've barely scratched the surface of the significance of this passage tonight regarding the way we live. I pray, Lord, that you would call us to be disciples who flee from sin, flee from Satan, flee from his lies. Lord, that you would make us good soldiers of Jesus Christ, who in seeking to serve you will serve you faithfully. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to strive after, pursue after righteousness, faith, love, and peace, as we were thinking this morning. And, Lord, as we feast our eyes upon the table now and Christ's death for us, remembering also his resurrection, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through this little observance of the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen.